<laughs> Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Cup Club. <laughs> Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. And I'm Sam. Howdy, Sam. Hey, Don. We are definitely not professionals, are we? <laughs> no, we're not professional. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to leave that flub in there. Totally. Absolutely. So how are you? I'm doing all right. Getting okay. good grades. My future's so bright. <laughs> i got to wear shades. you got to wear shades. You've been traveling a lot. A little bit, yeah. Didn't you I go on a, a lot of cruise recently. Yeah. yeah, hanging out in the Bermuda Islands. Ooh. So, but got to hang out with some uh, friends of Bill, too. So that was cool. On the, on the, on the cruise ship? Yep. Was it a sobriety cruise ship, or they no. just had a meeting? Oh, my God. Booze cruise from hell. <laughs> Which is what all cruises are, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was all right. I mean, uh, went to the second night, went to the Friends of Bill meeting. They also had Friends of Jimmy K meetings on there, which is N.A. Um, Jimmy K? Yeah. Was that the... Jimmy Kendall started N.A.? Apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, they had both Jimmy K uh, and Bill W. Uh, friends meetings um, every day on the ship. How many how many people showed up for the meeting? Because so, I was on one ship one time, and it was there were three of us, and there were five of us at this one. So uh, it was my five husband people. and me, and then uh, and then another couple, and then this one guy, uh, three years sober. The rest of us had had significant time, um, and, and not that three years isn't significant, but uh, he was um, three years sober and traveling with I think it was his uncle and two cousins. Uh, all dudes, all sharing the room and everything, and all of them except for him were drinkers. Ooh. Pretty significant drinkers. So it was really one of those things of, you know, I, I had no worry about being on the ship and, and drinking or anything like that. I showed up to the Friends of Bill W. meeting to, to be there for someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the case with the other married couple, too. And, uh, um, and it, it felt like, you know, we were there for this guy. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, he needed it. Yeah, and it was just one of those things. I mean, he wasn't worried, but it was still one of those things of, I'm alone out here on a, on a boat in the middle of the ocean, and I don't have my tribe. I don't have my sober peeps. And so connecting with people on the ship was a big deal. Uh, and that's been my experience on other events and cruises. I've done a few other cruises, too. And it's that thing where you know, never once again did we all come together for a Friends of Bill W. meeting. Uh, we showed up a few times, but no one else did. Mm -hmm. But those people that we met in that one, we ran into on on, on uh, islands as well as on the ship. Mm -hmm. And so it was one of those things that you bump into each other you, and it's that quick check-in. Yeah, you know? and there's, you got your tribe. People. Yeah. Exactly. And so it was good. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Now, the coolest experience I had with, with cruising was not last year, it was 2016, I think, I did a sober group cruise. Now, it was about 115 of us amongst over 2,000 people, but, uh, but a group of us went on this cruise, and I contacted uh, one of the islands that we were going to that had a, a clubhouse on it, 
and I want to go to their meeting. And the meeting wasn't being held while we were going to be docked there. And they held a special meeting just for the members of our crew, of our, our group, to attend. I was the only one who went, but that's okay. It was really cool. And one of the that's nice weird things, out of a hundred and some I know, people. but you know, was it in the dry tortillas? <laughs> I don't remember where it was, and that was a really bad pun. <laughs> um, but one of the neat things that was is that uh, they they were moving to a new clubhouse space like the next week, and they needed supplies. And shipping is so ridiculously expensive to the islands that they had me mule some stuff in for them. Oh. So one of my bags was full of nothing but things like curtains from Amazon. They ordered them from Amazon, had them shipped to me at my home, and then I packed them and carried them on the ship as my baggage. Surreptitious. Brought curtains. <laughs> to what are you doing? What are these curtains in your bag, sir? <laughs> you, you, you have to kind of wonder, right? Uh, so, but that was a neat experience. These drapes look suspicious. <laughs> what are they made of? Well, that's great. I'm glad you're here. I did some. I traveled as well. I was working. I've been working a lot out of town. And uh, I went to some meetings there. And the, my favorite meeting was the one which I've talked to you about. It was at, <laughs> uh, this was in Ocala, Florida. And it was at Scoop's Ice Cream at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings in the ice cream shop, which wasn't open. Dude, you didn't tell me it was a morning ice cream meeting. It was a morning ice cream meeting. It that's was, like, that's like, that's like day drinking. I mean, <laughs> I start early. I need a milkshake. Uh, they they weren't serving ice cream. It was in the space. It, it was a really good meeting, full of old timers. It was. I like the ambience of having an AA meeting in an ice cream shop compared to a church. You know, yeah, it's idea, like a different different feel. The idea of having uh, that anywhere but a church is kind of cool too. Yeah, so because there are times when I think I might catch on fire, but you know. Oh, uh, have you ever been to? It, what? Walking into the church. You're not going to catch on fire. <laughs> <laughs> but if anyone were to, it would be you. Yeah, especially if I had to read that 24 hours a day book. Oh, but we're not talking about that. Oh, boy. <laughs> Here we go, 24 hours a day book. It's not, not AA-approved literature. It's not. But it's been around forever. That doesn't mean a thing. Like our guest. Our guest has been around forever. <laughs> Yeah. What's your social security? That's like three digits, isn't it? <laughs> oh, oh, one. <laughs> <laughs> Introduce yourself to the people. Good afternoon. My name's Blair. I'm an alcoholic. Blair, Blair. Right. What if it's morning? It could be if you're listening to this, but... Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> or maybe it's the evening. Yeah, exactly. So you're not new to the boiled owl, Blair. You, no. were, you were part of our surgery special. <laughs> special. So we need sound effects there. <laughs> That would be nice. <laughs> so welcome back. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, always honored to have an opportunity to share my experience, strength, and hope. And a few laughs. That's more important. Seems to be the case. Yeah, you get that from anybody. <laughs> but there are some people who cannot get people to laugh. That's I'm exactly. I, I remember when you first came in and moved to Greensboro. So that was like... Uh, and I, that was, what was that, 15 years ago? Yes, I think almost exactly. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Immediately I was uh, talking to you and 
getting to know you a little bit, and I've, the the first thing I was thinking was, I would have liked drinking with this guy. <laughs> I got, I got, we would have been drinking buddies, I wonder. But, and then, but you said, like, now you're clean cut. I am. Got a... Uh, For the most part. Yeah, I mean, when you get that semi-annual haircut. Yeah. Goatee, a uh, mustache, very trim, very dapper, dress as a businessman all the time, uh, short hair, and I've seen pictures of you when back when you were drinking. Oh, yeah. Describe the way you were. The way you were. I was a career oh. man. A watercolor. Give us a little watercolor memory. It was a career way back one. Uh, yes, black t-shirts and blue jeans. <laughs> My attire. Uh, Chains. Yes. Wallet was on a chain. Boots. Mm -hmm. Or were you wearing like Chuck high tops? <laughs> uh, well, it was either something or something in between. Steel-toed boots. Uh, as it related to the job when I was, you know, employed, which <laughs> was intermittent, kind of like a, you know, hair down to your ass. Yes, when I tucked in my shirt, I would tuck in my hair. <laughs> uh, that That's a, a picture. Yeah, <laughs> and that was pretty much the truth. <laughs> yeah. Um, after I got sober, at some point, um, I decided uh, to clean up a little bit, and it was a gradual thing. Like when I got it cut up to. You know, my nipples. <laughs> I just want to give a visual. <laughs> about, okay. About that put long. your shirt down, Blair. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Blair, put your shirt back on. We, so, and then it gradually came, uh, you know, got shorter and shorter. And then, you know, for a while it was a mullet. <laughs> Even yeah, well, it was in style, so. <laughs> well, you know. Well, mullets really weren't in in about 2000, were they? It was, wait, were you in Canada at this time? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's uh, well transitioning between New York and Michigan. Oh, because because you Canadians brought the mullet <laughs> to us, didn't you? <laughs> that was a Canadian import. Yeah. <laughs> I would be happy to take uh, responsibility for that. You know, I <laughs> so what what year was that that you got sober? Ninety four. Ninety four. Ninety four in Binghamton, New York. Mm -hmm. And I thought the thought the world had come to an end. These the world stopped rotating. Because you quit drinking. Yes, exactly. Everything as I, you know, had since known it to that point, stopped, ceased. Right. It was pretty dramatic. I was a pretty low bottom drunk, so it was, uh, yeah. What do you mean by that? Um, been you know homeless, lived in my car, uh, have you know did a lot of couch surfing from time to time. Um, had been let go from numerous jobs. Um, How did you make a living? Generally, uh, somebody else's coattails, <laughs> <laughs> riding somebody else's. Um, the uh, the the woman I had as a girlfriend when I last when I got sober, we had got together using, and then when I got sober, she had like she had two jobs. So why did I need to work? <laughs> Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, come, come on. Yeah. That, <laughs> you might need to supplement your income. Sell, sell a little, you know, so whatever. This, but. this is like the yes. old joke of uh, what do you call a bass player without a girlfriend? Homeless. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's exactly right. That's about the same thing for uh, an you artist, use, isn't it? You can use it for an artist. You can use it for a drummer. <laughs> and you can use it for an alcoholic. That's right. Yeah, so I had, yes, it was, 
the the jobs were intermittent and I was labor of many sorts installed flooring delivered furniture was a day labor uh, stock boy dishwasher cook what was your drinking like did you drink only in the evening <laughs> oh was it it was I would drink whenever I was awake <laughs> That pretty much, yes. I mean, I loved it. There was nothing. I'm a morning person. I still am, and I have always been. And there was nothing like breakfast in a can to start the day, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I really, I loved it. I really did. And you know, supplement that with a you know a hit here or two or what have you. And that was a great way to start a day, as far as I was concerned. And but that was, I guess, part of my downfall is yes, I. So sometimes by noon. <laughs> I mean, I'd be ready to be passed out. Mm-hmm. Of course, then I'd get my second win. I'd wake up at you know, 4 o'clock and start again, you know, what have you. <laughs> I mean, literally. Yeah, there's no romanticizing that. I mean, I, you know, you could talk about some of those funny things that we did or things that seemed funny at the time or things that when we just didn't die. <laughs> it was like, right. oh, my God. How did the win? That's yeah. Yeah. How did you survive that one? It's like, I don't freaking know. God, well, let's do it again. God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. He kept me alive long enough that I could get sober and actually start a rich and fulfilling life. But the the act of addiction saw me in and out of jail. Uh, I lost count eventually because it was just it was a lot of overnighters, drunk in a public place, you know, fighting, um, misdemeanor stuff, misdemeanor, and then ultimately. You know, I was on probation, you know, drunk and driving and that kind of stuff, possessions. And I got charged with a felony. And that was really the turning point. That was possession? It was a, Drugs? It was, no, it was a felony because it was another DWI. Oh. Um, and if in New York, which is where I was at the time, if you had two within seven years or ten years or whatever it was, the second one automatically was a felony. Mm-hmm. And I was on probation. And I remember, you know, somebody hooked me up with this uh, attorney. <laughs> it was funny in Binghamton, it was a fairly sizable Italian community, and he was a an Italian, and he still had a bit of an accent, and he made it perfectly clear what he thought alcoholics. He said they should just shoot them all. That's what he said. That's the, uh, it sounds like the attorney for me. Hey. That's yeah. your attorney? Wow. That's exactly, yeah, somebody's, and he, he, you know, he got me off. Uh, you know, we got it down to whatever, it was just another misdemeanor, or whatever. I was not convicted of a felony, so that was the key. So he got me off, and, you know, got to uh, rehab, and that was, of course, the start of my recovery, or the start of abstinence. So you... <laughs> So your last drink had to do with getting a felony and you decided to go into rehab because of that? I mean, what was the crisis that I think I, made you willing to do it? Uh, because I was actually, you know, I, for the felony, I, I got weekends uh, until, yes, I guess, because I wasn't, he got me down, but I still had to do weekends. <laughs> You know, of course, I'm always in an alcoholic and drug-induced haze, and I don't think I was, no, I wasn't working at the time. <laughs> when in doubt, just say I wasn't working. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bobby, so that was the default, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, and I missed, I missed my last weekend. I didn't go to jail. I didn't show up. Because, you know, for weekends, you, you voluntarily, you, you go in, you show up, and then you do your weekend. and then Turn you, yourself in. Yeah, yeah, and then they let you out. And I missed my last weekend. And they didn't waste any time. I was shocked. I think it was like Monday morning. Two cops showed up at my door and was like, "Hey, what, you know what's going on?" I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm all law abiding now. I'm, you know, I'm on top of things. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> "Mr. Blair, <laughs> come with us." So then I went back to jail, and I had to do a couple weeks, um, and then I got out to go to rehab because through that process, the the criminal process in the courts, the judge had sentenced me to, to rehab. Well, so w w at what point did you decide that you had had enough with drinking? So far, you're doing it because you're being told to. Yeah. That's a great question, John. <laughs> I mean, because that's what, that's what, for me, like, I knew I had a problem drinking. Mm -hmm. And, but it wasn't until I reached this, a real crisis inside with it that I really decided to to do AA and to give up and go to AA because I was I did not want to do that. Well, I was absent for a while before I ever committed to AA. And I say abstinence simply because I was not consuming any alcohol or any drugs because I was afraid of going to prison. Uh, you know, I'd done the weekends, I did a couple weeks, and then I went from jail to rehab. And when I got out of rehab, I wasn't, I didn't, you know, I had been, so I'd been abstinent for whatever, 28 days. That's back, you know, in 94, I actually did 28 days. And it was on the state's time in, in, in New York. It was on Medicaid. And I went to an inpatient. I did the 28 days and I came out and I just thought, well, whatever. So long as I'm avoiding prison, right? <laughs> that's the bottom line. I've met a few guys who've been out of prison. I know some people who've gone. And some of them were just scary ass dudes. And I'm thinking, holy shit, it's one thing to go to jail. And some of those people can be pretty damn scary as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I say those people. I was, because <laughs> I was in there with them. <laughs> yeah. So some of those people are not scary at all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, but the hardcore, some of those hardcore people, I mean, there's a, there, there are prisons for a reason. I'm all for rehab and, and you know, living life and having people as, there's prisons for a reason. Some people belong in prison. And I'm thinking, my God, if I'm with one of those people stuck in a cell with one of the, I mean, it, you know. So, I don't know. It was a while, like months into recovery, quote unquote recovery, until at some point the light was, the, you know, somebody flipped the switch. God flipped the switch. And our power flipped the switch and said, oh, this. Life without drugs and alcohol is good. Hey, maybe you should try this. So what? What I one of the things I got from me about that coming into AA was that I couldn't quit without it, and you were able to quit without it. But one of the things that I continue to hear is that people who have had that success are, to put it quite bluntly, fucking miserable. <laughs> Not only themselves, but to be around. Yeah, had that kicked in for That's you? That's what white knuckling is. Yeah. Yes. And I, I was actually, you know, as mandated, I had uh, 
outpatient and I had to report to my probation and I had to, I was one of those guys that had to get the sheet signed. So I was going to some meetings, but I was that guy. I'm looking like, who's who's running this place? Who's running this? Can you sign this piece of paper for me to prove? Will you sign it at the beginning of the meeting so I can leave now? <laughs> yes. So <clears throat> I think, I, I don't know if I was miserable per se, but I was incredibly uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable in my own skin. Uh, simply because I was not going to deny, and I didn't, I didn't know how to handle, react to people, because then I'd already done my 28 days, so maybe it was at this point 40 days or 60 days or 75 days that I had been abstinent, but I wasn't seeking any permanent solution. I mean, ultimately, I figured I was coming back to my lifestyle uh, because this and this was just avoiding prison. This was doing the jumping through the hoops at the courts. You're getting out of trouble. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, yes, exactly. Because of the felony and because of, you know my checkered past, that it really could have caused me a lot of serious problems. And they said, well, you know, when you get arrested and with the felony, and that I could serve out the rest of my probation in prison. I had six years of probation. <laughs> Holy shit! So a minimum of six years in prison. I'm like, wow, sir. That so I was uncomfortable. I, I, I wouldn't say I was quote-unquote miserable, but I was just incredibly uncomfortable because I didn't know, because I was having feelings. Oh, <laughs> those things. They're pesky. <laughs> you know, that's true. And they continue to be. That's, yeah, <laughs> that is true. Uh, although today I have tools. I have been taught how to handle them, and especially feeling, the feelings of sadness or fear. Um you know, I know how to handle it. I know how to reach out and ask for help when I need it. Uh, enjoy it. I you know, relish in it and like to share it with others. Versus at 75 days sober, where was the joy? You know, because people still look, the crowd that I was running was still looked for joy through drugs and alcohol, getting right. high, having a little bit more money, you know, faster car. There was always something tangible and very associated with whatever you were doing, right? Something outside to yes. bring happiness. Yes, it was definitely an outside. And, and acquiring it never Satisfies. led to happiness that remained. No, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. So it was, yeah, it was absolutely rough. And at some point, I think this, I, I met enough people in AA um, that were sober and trying to change their lives that they started modeling for me and I could see the happiness and sincerity in their lifestyle. That it was like, well, this is, you know, this is joyful. It is peaceful, it's serenity, it's happiness, it's all the good things in life. And it's not Rose Garden, but it indeed is, is happy and it's fulfilling and it's meaningful. And at some point, those things started to connect with me and I connected with other people and I would um, be remiss at one of the first people I met and I met Ruben uh, when I was actually in rehab and they'd take us out to, to meetings and Ruben was uh, Puerto Rican and he was from New York City so he had an accent and he was uh, probably 20 years my senior and I remember I was in a meeting was, it, was he a friend or your sponsor? He was neither at this point. No. Mm -hmm. um, he ultimately became a very close friend, and he 
played a big part in my recovery and in my life as a mentor, as a, as a friend. But when I first met him, I was in a meeting and there was a piano there and I started playing the piano a little bit to, you know, nobody was there. And he was there early and he came in and he was very friendly and I wasn't sure if he was gay. And I was like, hmm. And then it turned out that he was gay and he was very friendly. Because <laughs> not all the gays are friends. No, exactly, Trust me. And we became very close friends and he was just... Um, you know, he was a lifeline in my recovery. Cool. He was so... Well, you were distrustful that he was gay. Yes. That, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I didn't know... What does he mean by this? Yes, yeah. And, you, know, he, you know, what's he trying to do? Or why is he being so friendly to me? I mean, I'm still... I couldn't trust myself, so I'm certainly not trusting you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no. I, I well, I remember. I remember often feeling like this someone was friendly. Why is this not not because they're gay, but just anybody? Mm -hmm. Why are you being friendly to me? What are you trying to get out of me? And that's one Which of the weird things about thing. AA, and it's what I'm hearing you talk about in particular, Blair, is that you know when you say that these these members were modeling what life could be, yes. they weren't telling you that you got to do this or. Uh, or trying to get anything out of you, but what they were were, com were were conveying to you was, we'd like for you to have this if you want it. We'll help. Mm -hmm. And then they were just living their lives, and it looked attractive. Yes, because regardless of whether I got sober or not, they were enjoying life. They were working the program. They were engaged in the community. They were a part of. And if I wanted to be a part of, they were going to accept me for who and what I was. And if I you know, wasn't going to, then that was fine too. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't up to them. I guess they were, you know, wise beyond their years or whatever, or they were working the program and realized it, whereas well, I didn't. Well, and I like also that, you, that they were going to accept you for who and what you were yes. at that time. Yes. Warts and all, yes. all, all of the, all of the stuff that we come in here with. Yeah. You ain't scaring us off. Yes, because I was still, you know, I was, I was pretty darn green, and I'm sure uh, everybody could see it, uh, you know, that I was so new and not trusting and didn't know anything and was uncomfortable and, you know, just all those things that, uh, a low-bottom drunk and being abstinent, you know, that I was. So, was this a period of time when you were living above a bar, <laughs> sober? yes. I love it. And that, Describe <laughs> that living situation, Blair. Well, you know, the, the woman that I hit my bottom with, she had a great uh, job in a factory in Binghamton. And it was a good paying job. And then she worked part-time uh, as a bartender at the bar in which we lived above. <laughs> I, I thought when I moved in there, it's like, I found heaven. I have arrived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! When you moved in, you were drinking. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I had known her from before we had met and stuff. So I had just left my wife, uh, my first wife, and um, and so we hooked up, and I moved in with her because I didn't have any place to go. And we, uh, I thought, my gosh, this is great. And it wasn't. I had, actually had a job when we met, and then I left, lost it shortly there. Shocking! <laughs> it was like, oh my God, what a blessing! <laughs> Look at this! 
I've got more time to drink. <laughs> yeah. And look, it's all downstairs. <laughs> right. I'm surprised you didn't cut a hole in the floor yeah. so you could have instant access <laughs> yeah. to it. Yeah, I thought about it. Drop a rope. That's right, I thought about it. Drop a line. Oh my gosh, so that's, yeah, so I lived above that bar. So for a couple of years, I lived above the bar active, and that's where I hit my bottom. I mean, it was just, God almighty, because I wasn't working. She was an incredible uh, enabler and was a user herself, of course. Uh, and people, you know, would hook up at the bar downstairs and would need to someplace to, you know, do stuff. A little hour, by the hour motel. <laughs> and that is, you know, and otherwise, not, not everything in the, but, you know, if they scored and they needed someplace to, you know, they wanted to, Cuts them so clean, you know, cooks and whatever it was. Hey, toilets are not good for that mm. anymore. I would, these people had high standards, didn't they? And, <laughs> so they'd come upstairs and be like, just take care of the house and, you know, you're good. So I thought I really had, I thought Wait I Wait a minute, take care of the house means leave a cut for the house. Yeah. Okay, I want to be clear about that. It, it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, don't burn my house down. No. It was, <laughs> leave some for us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's exactly right. And that is, so I was, yeah, that. Man, so I just went downhill really fast, and that's and then of course then I, all the uh, legal repercussions culminated to a point and ahead when I had to deal with that, and then when I got out of rehab, I went back to the bar, to living above the bar, and I, and I did. I mean, you know, I got approached by a, a guy I'd known, and he said, "Well, Blair, you know, I heard this is over. You're looking so good." He said, "Here, why don't you start moving some, you know, some green for me." <laughs> I'm like, well, sure. I just, you know, I just happen to be unemployed. <laughs> I'm talking about what? yard clippings, right? <laughs> what? What a coincidence! What is great? So I, I started slinging bags. I got back. I was actually making money because I wasn't using anything. And I had to pay off. You know, <laughs> it's interesting how you're not using your product. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is good sober living. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said, all I was at first was abstinent. I wasn't sober. Mm -hmm. I was simply abstinent. I really was. And I recognize that now. I mean, at the time, you couldn't have told me. I would have said, hell no, I'm sober. What are you crazy? I'm not well, using it. And, and that's because there's been a huge improvement in life when you stop drinking and using, right? <laughs> it's true. Yes. I can remember where I was last night. And so I did. I, I mean, I, you know, I uh, started thinking about it. I was making good money. I paid off all my fines, paid off the attorney. I actually got a job, uh, which was within walking distance of the bar. I was in a rubber uh, was in a foam factory and I made foam pieces. I ran this big bandsaw and cut. The foam came in chunks that were like about 10 feet tall and 6 feet wide. Seriously, oh, huge, wow. funk, chunk, huge chunks of foam. And I put them on this big bandsaw with a table, you know, like 12 feet wide and I'd run these and, you know, and I'd have to... Like, were you making clown noses? No, like chairs and stuff, I guess, you know, whatever it was. I just made parts. Mm -hmm. So I did. So I was making good money. I was, yeah, you know, I was making five bucks an hour. And of course, I was making a lot more money <laughs> slinging bags than I was as a bandsaw runner. But I, I didn't use because I was too afraid because I ran them drug tests and I still had to go to AA and get the things signed. So I really didn't know. So, And it was. Uh, I did that. And my girlfriend and I, uh, weren't a couple anymore because she started using it. She said, well, I'll stop using when you get out. And she did for a short time. And then she went back to using. So I started sleeping on the couch. I slept on the couch, I slept on the couch for three years. Oh, wow. Until I, well, on occasion, of course. But 
That's not sleeping, Blair. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> that wasn't sleeping. On occasion, we, we, I guess this was prior, but now you'd call it friends with benefits, right? Right. right? But it wasn't at that time. It was pre-texting, so nobody knew. Anyway, so at about a year, uh, at, I was, you know, I really was. I, it was some point that things had clicked, and I was getting connected, and I was feeling, I was feeling a part of. And I felt though I was living a double life because I was still slinging bags. And it was just obviously contradictory to everything <laughs> that they ate. Hmm. Yeah. Something's odd about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, but I, I mean, you know, I bought my Harley in that first year. I bought a Trans Am. I had CDs. I had a stereo. I had, you know, leather jacket. I had chaps. I was, I mean, I thought I had a ride, and that was part, and I was going to, I started going to a lot of meetings, and I didn't, I had, I didn't have to any longer get them signed. So you were going because you wanted to go. I was going because I wanted to. Okay. And at about a year, I finally, my conscience (laughs) spoke louder than my wallet, I guess, and (laughs) said, okay, you know, Blair, you've got to stop Dealing dope, that's not really sober living. And, you know, get on with your life. So I did. So I stopped dealing dope. And I decided uh, that I would go to school. And I would you know, try to practice these principles in all my affairs. So it was gradual for you, though. It very much was. It was not the burning bush at all. Yeah. It was a slow process, but I had people help me. And and one of the things I'm hearing is is um, fellowship was probably a big part of. Yes, absolutely. That was. I didn't have a sponsor for a while, to be honest. Um, um, and it really was it, the fellowship at Sam is a fantastic because that for me was incredibly valuable and incredibly important in my life, not just in my recovery and in that. But in my life, I mean, I've, you know, I've always sought to be a part of, and I, you know, I always wanted to run with somebody. I mean, I was never a loner, and I mean, I always wanted to you know, be around people. And the community that I discovered there, and people who were like me, who had done bad things, weren't necessarily a bad person, but had done some bad things, had, you know, guilt and shame and over the years, and what, but were trying to just change their lives. And I started to feel very drawn and connected to those people like Ruben. And we, I started running with a crowd of about six or seven men, uh, of which most of them had more time than me. There were one or two that were about the same, you know, we were in the same kind of... Littermates. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and we started doing things together. We, we'd go out on a Friday night to a co- for coffee or uh, tea and... Uh, we'd go pick strawberries. <laughs> you know? Man, that sounds like so much fun. It was. It, and that's the kicker. It really was. It, it was fun. Yeah, it wasn't part of it, you know, because we, we lived in the... So we'd get in somebody's car, and, you know, there was a, you know, it was a half-hour drive to go do it or something, and you'd stop and get a soda. And, and, the, and the ride there back with the camaraderie in the car, the laughing uh, for me, which was so important, you talk about laughter mm-hmm. at the beginning and now. Yes, I, I mean, and, you know, I think it was kind of a mutual thing. I, I mean, I think I chose some of the people I wanted to hang out with, and they chose me, or 
and allowed me to hang with them. And we always had a, a tremendous fun time. I do. This is interesting. You know, I came into AA. I didn't have a treatment center, didn't go to a treatment center. And I just walked in off the street because of the emotional crisis and spiritual crisis that I was in due to drinking. And I was certain I tried everything in the world and AA was the, I knew it was the last straw, you know, so I was, I guess I'm going to have to do this AA thing. <laughs> so I've always kind of um, resented or not trusted, I guess, the people with, that are court ordered to come to AA and they have things to sign. And to me, it's like, you don't have to get this signed. I mean, sign it yourself. I don't care. AA doesn't care. <laughs> it's up to you whether you want to get sober. And that's the way it feels to me. But it sounds like that it really worked for you to it have did. to get it signed and just to make you have the time to have the exposure to it so that, you, so that it could be attractive to you. Because I had no idea what the expectation. You know, I went to one AA meeting when I was a teenager. Uh, when I was about 18 and had, uh, you know, had some mental health issues and attempted suicide, ended up in a psych ward. And obviously that identified one of my issues as <laughs> addiction, addiction issues. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, one of the array of, you know, <laughs> of issues that I may have. <laughs> Stop bragging. <laughs> So I really didn't know, you know, I couldn't hardly even remember by the time, you know, I was 30 and getting so like, I couldn't even remember what the hell it was about. But it always, yeah, because my probation officer was the one who was enforcing that, right? And since he was the one who was the gatekeeper to whether I went to prison or not, since he was the one who was, it's like, well, I better get this done. <laughs> yeah. I got to turn it in and all that kind of stuff. And Yeah, it was. And not, I think, that's, <laughs> yeah, at you saw, you know, I was the guy with the chip on his shoulder. I didn't look clean. I didn't want to be there. I just, I mean, you could probably see it in my eyes. But ultimately, having to go through those motions. I remember Miami Mike in Binghamton he used to say, you know, come, fake it till you make it. And I really didn't understand that with just months. I, did, I didn't really get it. But, of course, I see, you know, you two are affirming and not, yeah, we know what it means today. And that's exactly what I was doing, but it wasn't intentional. It was just while I was staying out of prison. I got I got to go through this. This that's exactly. So I'm gonna fake it. Fake it, and then I made it. Yeah, you know I um it's 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 interesting that we're talking about this this court ordered thing because I mean it's it can be a contentious topic amongst uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, folks in in the rooms, um, you know, and out of the rooms, you know. Well, you know, there's some there can be AA. confusion yeah. with the people who are being court ordered that that is AA that's saying that you have to yeah. sign. Yeah. You know, I I was just sitting with um, our DCM, our district committee member, uh, before I came over here, and recently I signed her up uh, in a forum online that I'm a member of, the Technology in AA forum, mm -hmm. and one of the posts that was recently uh, got some some activity was you know what documents have. Uh, you, your district or intergroup or area created that um, are not from AA World Services, but something that you've made for your locale. 
And one of the ones that someone submitted was a, or is a pamphlet about court-ordered attendance mm. to AA meetings. Mm. And it is something specifically for the folks who are getting the slip signed. Mm. And it talks about that the, the difference between you know what you're experiencing, you know that this is not an AA thing. We're not uh, we, we we're not driving this, but we're happy to sign your paper, um, and and a lot of other stuff about it. But it was just really kind of neat that that was about it. And then also recently, I heard uh, someone who had uh, had a conversation with a judge about this court ordered AA attendance, and his take on it. Uh, the judge's uh, thoughts on it were, this is not going to get someone sober. This mm. is so that if and when they are ready, they will know where to go. Hmm. Well, that, yeah, that, that makes sense. It does yeah. make sense, actually. And it just so happens that it worked for me. And I, even though I wasn't ready right at that very minute, that I had to do it long enough. How long did you have to do it? Oh, I can remember about six months. Maybe. Six months? Wow. Okay. As I recall, it was about that. Because in Binghamton, they also had this called IOP or something. An intensive outpatient. Yes. And I didn't get a part of that group, but I guess I or I attended it on occasion. Or something. I, I can't even remember. It's all just freaking hazy. I mean, that was just such a, a dark time, and it was a hazy time. And, but it came out the other side. And it, I, yeah, I'm very grateful. Uh, that that judge actually saw his way or saw clear, or, you know, was God inspired to say, "Well, this guy, you know, is going to be mandated into outpatient and do all this stuff," and you know, that because I'm sure he did it to many who would come back in front of him at some point. And it'd be like, yeah, just pr just prison's not for an alcoholic. It's not. That's not going to keep him. From Drinking or helping them turn their life around, and it could, it could be a bottom. But when I was doing weekends, we have, we had to go and uh, you know we in the orange jumpsuits, and we had to go out and uh, do litter pickup on the highways. I can't remember. I guess it was in the late summer, early fall. Um, so, we found we found some beers. I knew you were going to say you found something to drink. Yes, we found. Some, <laughs> And me and another guy, we drank them, and then that's a warm beer, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, Gary, Gary, and oh my God, the guard who was with us when he found him, he was so pissed, and nobody gave us up because there was like I don't know how many of us, I can't remember six or eight or something. <laughs> and I remember three, <laughs> somebody, I got back whatever Sunday night, Monday morning, I can't remember when they let us out. <laughs> somebody had told my girlfriend. She, she thought it was a secret. She's like, God, did you know I saw Blair in one of the road gangs? Did you know Blair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, thought, you know, thought it was a big, you know, faux pas that my girlfriend wouldn't have known that I was going to do weekends. And, yeah, that's um, what made you hotter. That's <laughs> right. In that orange jumpsuit. Totally. They're very sexy. Back in the prison tats. <laughs> Weekend jail prison tats. There you go. God, oh. Blair, what was something that happened when you started working the steps? What was one of the pivotal moments working the steps? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it took me um, until I moved. You know, I got sober in Binghamton and went to Ithaca to, to, to go to Cornell. And 
I had not officially worked the steps with anybody. I had a couple of sponsors, temporary and kind of intermittent, and helped me a little bit. But I had I had that group of men, that six or seven guys, and I was ultimately when I flipped the switch, I was like brutally honest. I mean, I was just telling them everything. I'd tell Shell all kinds of shit at the meeting. <laughs> Way inappropriate. Let, let, let me do my fifth step. <laughs> Way inappropriate. <laughs> Man, I bet the speaker meeting you talked at was really awesome. Oh my God, way in because I didn't, because I didn't, have, you know, I didn't really get it. So when I got, to, when I got to Ithaca and I sat down with uh, my sponsor, I remember, uh, you know, doing a fourth and fifth. What was a turning point actually was before we actually sat down to do it. He shared with me. He said anything. He said you really, if you don't want to share it with me, he said. You know, I'm going to a church over here, and uh, you can use a minister. And for me, that was a, just a turning point to uh, of trust with another man that he could just, he didn't have to know, or whatever. It wasn't, you know, I needed to do it, but it didn't have to be with him. Mm-hmm. So I actually got really honest with him. Because, because he made it okay, like that he... He made you so, trust him. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. okay if you don't tell me. That, yes. Yeah. That was kind of it. Yeah, that it, it'll be okay. Just tell me what you want to tell me. If you want, you know, go tell somebody else, but just tell me what you're comfortable with. And it made me trust him, and it made me feel more comfortable in that way. I mean, I still didn't, let's be real, I didn't tell him everything. <laughs> you didn't? No. No, it took a couple more times before I really... Well, and, and that's Deep. because we do the best that we can yeah. at the time. time. Yes, yes, and that's what I was doing. I mean, I just couldn't, even though I was being what I thought pretty honest and saying inappropriate things. It still, it wasn't deep in my core stuff. I mean, it was you know stupid stuff that I'd done, or and it still was a little inappropriate. <laughs> but it wasn't the deep dark stuff that would make me drink. So your first fourth and fifth step was superficial, but it helped. It was peeled the onion to where you could. Yes. And then look deeper another time. You did it again. Yes, I've done it numerous times, and it was meaningful the first time. Don't it wasn't just superficial. I mean, it was uh, still because even getting some of that stuff out was incredibly difficult and painful to, as you say, peel back the onion. And to show it was all somebody, you could do. Yes, to show somebody. What I thought was someone I incredibly make myself very vulnerable. That's what it was. It was making, I had to make myself incredibly vulnerable more so than I have to anybody else because I certainly didn't talk this way to friends or even to girlfriends or spouses or, you know, partners or whatever. But here I was going to do it with this man and tell him some of the stuff that I thought made me incredibly vulnerable, made me feel a great deal of guilt and shame and some of the quote-unquote bad things that I had done. And I, yeah, no, it was, it, I mean, it was pretty brutal. It was just, there were a couple of things that I just couldn't bring myself to tell him. Mm-hmm. I get that. And, and the thing, what I'm hearing is that by doing what you did share with him gave you enough uh, experience in that situation that with, with some time, you were able to be even more vulnerable. Later. Yes. Yes. And just it just took time. And that and that is that feeling of the onion. You know, yes. there, there are things that we just can't address 
until we address some other stuff first. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't trust you. What you said about trusting uh, was interesting. When I I don't know if it was growing up in the seventies, and but when we used to say, "Don't trust anyone over 30. <laughs> yeah. and yeah. just an older man was like, "I didn't trust anybody, any older men at all." And I had a bad relationship with my father, and I'm sure it was from that. So I mean, not only did I didn't trust them, I didn't like them. I didn't, you know, an older, any older man. It was like amazing to meet men who had good hearts and had my best interests in mind and were there to help me. And it was a surprise. And I, I want to add to that too, that as a gay man, I really had, concerns about sharing my innermost stuff with another man, particularly a straight man. Mm -hmm. um, when I came into these rooms, that's why my first sponsor was a lesbian. But as my journey in, re in recovery has progressed, uh, I found that the straight guys don't give a shit either. <laughs> right. And, and it was something that I had to move through yeah. to where not was it just that I needed to do what I did to be able to be vulnerable later to the same person, but also to another group of people, straight men. I think Sammy's going to hit on it because it, the, the, the gentleman that I was sharing with, it wasn't about him. He was ready, willing, and able to hear whatever I had to say to him, and he wasn't going to judge me. He wasn't going to run and tell anybody. He was just helping me. And it was all about, it was me. I mean, the only, the only, the only obstacle yeah. was myself and getting over that. And, 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 and that, that's, that being the ego. Yeah. My ego was the obstacle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you're, you're safe in AA is what we learned, but you're not Absolutely. safe in the coffee club. Watch out, Blair, 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 Duck, Blair, Duck! Oh man, he messed up your hair. <laughs> it's time for our old timers question. Hey, who you calling an old timer? You, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die, Daddy-o. No matter how long you've been sober there, buddy boy. <laughs> It's still one day at a time. Well, at least I'm not saying. <laughs> if you want to ask a question, go to boiledowlaa.org. So we, uh, we do have a question that we did not make up this time. Ooh, Ooh a question <laughs> from the internet. It is. The, the, the mighty internet has submitted a question. This is from Tara in Houston, Texas. Why do people say... Keep coming back, it works if you work it, and some people say if you let it. Some people say it works if you let it. So, yeah, so some people, so the, you know, the, the thing that we tend to say after the, at the end of the meeting, keep coming back, it works if you work it, and Tara has encountered some people saying, it, uh, keep coming back, it works if you let it. I've never heard anybody say it works if you let it. But You're not going to enough meetings. <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody say it works if you let it? 
Okay. <laughs> I don't think I have either, but first thing that comes to my mind is, of course, when we talk about the cease fighting everyone and everything. So if you let it, you got to stop fighting. That, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's personal, and it's like just everywhere you go, there's little things that are different in the sayings and the traditions of an area will be different little than another area. Like here, it's... Uh, there was a guy who always said, uh, one day at the time. And, and that's just wrong. And it's just wrong. It's not one day at the time. It's one day at a time. But I love it. One day at the time. And I, I went to uh, some meetings in Florida, and they were there. They were, everyone would jump in when they were reading before someone would say, what's the the point is to grow along What's the point? Spiritual. What's the point? The point is to grow along spiritual lines. And then at the end, there, everyone says, it works if you work it. Work, work, work. I guess there they might say, works if you let it. Let, let, let. I <laughs> work, work, but, work just totally took me to the Jetsons in Uniblab. Everybody work. Work, work, work. Work, work, work. <laughs> but that, and that's different everywhere. What I brought up with my home group, that uh, it would be a good idea if we started a new tradition when we're reading the long form of how it works. Although, say all the women will say, sometimes quickly, and then the men will say, sometimes slowly. And uh, I, it didn't catch I'm on. I'm shaking my head. No, <laughs> it didn't catch on. Everyone didn't go on. In fact, someone said, um, we think not. <laughs> 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 but all those all those sayings are different in different places. Yeah, they are indeed. So you know, sometimes I don't like. One thing I don't like is when you know what grinds my gears <laughs> <laughs> is when people introduce the Lord's Prayer with Who walks on rivers and saves our livers. I don't like it as an opportunity. I heard that at a meeting. That's exactly what I heard at a meeting. But I've heard all kinds of things. Who never, who never misses a meeting? As an introduction to the Lord's Prayer, and I just don't think it's a time for a stand-up comedy routine. Well, maybe we just shouldn't say the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. That's what that's you 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 think it should always be the serenity prayer. Yeah, I do. and I think there's a lot to be said about that. I mean, I I can see that point. But if you're going to do the Lord's prayer, it's not an opportunity to get a laugh. In Ottawa, uh, which of course is my hometown, I've been to many meetings over the years, and very common uh, to close their meetings, they do the responsibility pledge. I like that a lot, particularly to close business meetings and, and district meetings and things like that. I, absolutely. What is the responsibility pledge? Um, I, I am responsible for anyone who reaches out anywhere, anytime, but hand of AA, I want to always be there. So for that, I am responsible. Very much. Very close. That was very close. To it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and I think that that's a fantastic way to, to close uh, particularly mm -hmm. yeah. meetings that are business meetings yeah. as well. And a matter of fact, there is one group I go to here that has that printed at the bottom of the traditions page that they mm -hmm. read, and they read that statement at the close of reading I like the traditions. that. Mm -hmm. It's great. You know, I've I'm never bring heard... up that. I'm going to bring up that with my hunger. Uh, so we think it. not. <laughs> Dude, that's probably what they'll say. <laughs> you know, I, I've not heard it. Uh, it works if uh, it works if you let it. But I mean, I totally get where they're coming from in saying if you let it. It, mm -hmm. it is that thing of stop resisting, let go, 
um, you know, if, if you will quote unquote submit to this program, it will work you. It will work on you. It, mm -hmm. it, it does. And, it, mm -hmm. and, and that's been my experience. But in, It worked on Blair. And if, 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 over a period of God, six yes. months. It didn't. But it's that thing, too. Of, I mean, I've been to lots of places in, in my travels, um, and I've been to AA meetings in those locales, and everywhere's got something different. Yeah. Everybody's everybody's closing it somehow, some, some different way. Some home groups, like uh, The Way Out, just close with the prayer. No chanting after the meeting, right. after the prayer. Um, and other places, no, it's not an opportunity to do a little jig. No little jig. <laughs> but you know, I've experienced meetings in California, for instance, where the call and response is is hilarious, yeah. which is along what you, That's you what, mentioned about Florida. Yes. Uh, and there can be so much fun. I, I've been to conventions where you know I'm in a room of, of of a thousand guys who are attending this 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 recovery conference, and a lot of them are from California and. And, and then someone's reading how it works, and they start reading the steps. And before the reader says, you know, one, you know, half the group, the room is going one, and the other half the room is going shh, trying to shish them. <laughs> and then they get to the second step, two, shh. And that's and going on in the background. Yeah, while the <laughs> it's hilarious. Well, now, it would drive me absolutely nuts if that's what I dealt with all the time. All the time yeah. <laughs> But to go to a conference, it's a lot of fun. But uh, so, Tara, thank you for putting that question out to us. It certainly has spawned some thought here. Um, I'm yeah. looking forward to maybe checking out some meetings in Houston, Texas. Maybe I need to get there. One of the nice things about traveling is you see all the little things that are different. And, and it kind of has helped me to let go of being upset about little things. Because it's those little things that are different. That's not what's important. It's the stuff that's the same at all the meetings. That's what's that's the stuff I need to pay attention to. Yeah, and you know one other quick thing because uh, it can always use a little bit of help. Uh, a, a lot of us don't have the luxury of getting to travel to a lot of different locales and experiencing AA there, but there is a way that you can, and that's through the Grapevine magazine. I have questioned the Grapevine magazine many times over the years, and my service sponsor uh, pointed out to me that. Through the Grapevine magazine and, and the articles and shares that uh, members of AA submit to Grapevine and that get published in it, that's how you can get a flavor of AA all across North America. The Boiled Owl Coffee Club brought to you by the Grapevine magazine. Not. <laughs> we are not affiliated. <laughs> are you the Grapevine rep? No, I'm not. Which hungry. is really weird for me to be even talking about this thing, but you know. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. You're right. It's good. Blair, thanks for being here today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Watch out for that owl! <laughs> that velociraptor owl. <laughs> thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. 
Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services or the Grapevine. Ha <laughs> ha.